the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, hello, everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I want to welcome you to another live stream with our brother Mel. And if you don't know anything about uh, the work that Mel has been doing in the last year alone, especially with uh, our brother, Dr. Jay Smith, I think you are going to be amazed and amused by the stuff that he has been sharing and the research that he's been doing and the findings that he is uh, coming across uh, the, the type of work that Mill does has to do with a, a historical critique of Islam in general. But today we're talking specifically about the person of Muhammad, the one that we call the founder of Islam. And uh, I had Mill a few months ago with me here along with Jay also through a uh, Zoom uh, as we have him right now, and he really uh, did an excellent job laying out the thesis of his findings based on the research that is being done, talking about whether or not the character of Muhammad or the person of Muhammad, as we know him from the Islamic sources, matches up with the findings he's coming across. And uh, to our surprise, of course, like everybody else, the facts that are being discovered do not jive with the traditional story. So today we wanted to continue along this discussion. Mel, thank you so much, brother, for being here with us. Hi, Fadi. It's great to be back. I'm really excited to share my findings with you today. Um, if, if I may, I would like to give a shout out to one of uh, my team, Joe, who has a YouTube channel called Red Judaism, and I'm sure he would appreciate more subscribers. Um, but both he and I and another guy called Murad are, are really part of the team, and we've been working hard really the last few months Absolutely. making new discoveries new, pretty much every day. Absolutely, and I would love really to have Murad with you uh, pretty soon here this year, and hopefully your friend, um, if he is interested in at least being with us, uh, voice only, yeah. if he doesn't want to show his, his face, that will be great as well. But that's his choice, of course. We can check yeah. with him. But I want to also remind our viewers that this is also part of my podcast, Let Us Reason. So if you are listening to this on radio, this was part of a live stream that we are doing right now on March 8th, 2021. March 8th, 2021. And this will be part one of that podcast and we'll do part two. In other words... On radio, you'll be listening to it two weeks in a row. So, brother, tell us about the theory in general or the hypothesis concerning Muhammad and then the new findings that you're coming across. Okay, so I suppose there's a number of strands to to this thesis. 
The first one really is that we believe that the the story of Muhammad has been fabricated, has been built up over a number of decades. And it's based loosely, I, I believe, on a key figure of Ias ibn Kapisa al-Tay, who was um, a leader of the Tayyaye tribe in northern Mesopotamia um, in the early part of the 7th century. Um, but what we found is that there are other historical figures who w- were added to the mix, as it were, um, and so what we believe has happened is a kind of mythology has built up, particularly in the latter part of the 8th century with um, the, the work of Ibn Isaac and then later re-edited under Ibn um, Hisham. So so that's, the, that's one element of it. The other element of it is we believe that the geography is all wrong. So the traditional account says that it all began in the Hejaz. But, and and. I was one of those that assumed that all of this must be correct. But as soon as you go digging, what you find is that none of this matches up with the historical facts. We can't find any evidence to back that up. Um, And so what it led me to um, was when I looked at the early 7th century sources, more and more the sources were pointing further north to places like Iraq and Syria, not down in the Hejaz. Right. That's interesting. If I may interject, uh, just as a reminder to people, yeah. I mean, what, what Mill is mentioning is extremely, extremely important in light of the other historical criticism that Dan Gibson have done so far and, of course, Dr. J. Smith. Notice the geography. It is in the north or the northeast, uh, basically, area or region over the Arabian Peninsula, not in the Arabian Peninsula. And in this case, we're talking about the area of Mesopotamia, known today as parts of Persia and Iraq. And that's extremely important, folks, because we're finding other things that point to that direction, that the Petra direction for Qibla, for instance, and prayer. Uh, the uh, Here is the origin of uh, possibly the real Muhammad, if you wish. And then... Uh, many of the main qira'at of the Quran also come from that area, Basra, Kufa, uh, as opposed to, for instance, the primary sources from Medina and Mecca. So go ahead, brother. Continue. Okay, so essentially, if you, no matter what angle you look at it, um, you find that it had to have started way up in the north. Um, for example, if we look at the sources of the stories that you find in the Quran, these are predominantly Syriac stories. Um, if you look at the type of script that's used in the Quran, it's it's a Nabataean script. Um, if you look at the historical context, context where there was a conflict between the Persians and the Byzantines, well, that places you way up north again. Um, and so literally every level that we looked at, we, we found that it points up there. Um, and so I suppose today what I'd like to focus on is a key uh, um, point, which is when did it all start? Um, and so everyone assumes that the tr- the tradition is correct, the Islamic tradition, that it all started in 622, the, the year of the Hijra. But what's interesting is that there are really early sources that contradict that entirely and say that, it actually happened much earlier. So, um, so what actually, you're saying, the traditional date, 621, 622, is actually not the correct date. 
it's not the correct date. And um, I, I'm going to um, prove this quite firmly today um, using some of the earliest, earliest sources that we have, um, not only from outsiders, but actually from the people themselves, so the Taiyei themselves. And I think one of the things um, that everyone needs to note is the fact that I, I do focus a lot on the Taiyei because Thomas the Presbyter is one of our earliest sources referring to the the Taiyei of Muhammad. And he, he wrote that down in a book in 640. So that's one of our earliest sources. But the Taiyei has been scrubbed from the Islamic tradition. You can't find it. And that should raise red flags straight away. So as soon as I noticed the absence of the Taiyei from the Islamic tradition, whereas I noticed it was all over the sources from the 7th century, I knew there was something up that yeah. raised my suspicion. So, And if you don't mind, uh, Mel, yeah. I want to interject something because I, I don't want the Muslims to jump all over this. Um, you know, what, what yeah. our brother Mel is talking about is uh, uh, the Qabila al-Tawai or al-Tai, uh, this is the tribe of Ta'i, basically, or Ta'i in English. Uh, they are the one that he's referring to. Now, we know there is a character that is known to be very generous, Hatim al-Ta'i. You know, it, he was mentioned at least three times in supposedly some hadith traditions, but that was it. That was it. Yeah. You're not going to find anything in Nasira. You're not going to find anything in primary sources outside of this, uh, uh, basically, let's call it a... Uh, a mythical story about Hatim al-Tai and his generosity, or the reference in the Hadith, which it could be a later redaction, by the way. We know that there is enough evidence of that by now. So yeah. I just wanted to clarify that. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, um, I, I, I suppose I should clarify as well. I tend to use the, the term Tayyayi, which is the Syriac version. So Tay would be the Arabic. That's that. right. So just That's to, right. Thank you for clarifying clarify. that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, what I'll do is I will we'll start really in, in terms of that then. Um, so just to kind of tie what we're talking about today um, with the first video I did before Christmas, um, I made a few startling claims. I said that the Tayyaye kingdom led by Muhammad in inverted commas began in 618 so th- and not 622. And it was in Iraq and not in the Hijaz. So I'm going to be following up on that today with more evidence. Chinese sources tell us that the leaders of this movement were not Arabs, but Persians. So this is another uh, clangor, if you like. There were 11 Persians who came and, according to the rank as Mushu, were transformed into kings. This is according to some Chinese sources. And perhaps the most startling was that Muhammad lived not in the Hijaz, but in Iraq, and his real name was Ias ibn Kapisa. Muhammad is just a messianic title given to him. Now, if you think about you know, the Islamic tradition and how it gives you the name of Muhammad and his father and mother and all the rest of it, and this elaborate uh, family tree, um, when you realize that actually this is just a title, it makes you realize that this is a major fabrication. So all of this um, story, this biography, had to be fabricated um, consciously, knowing that there's no basis to this. And this would have happened over a period uh, about 100 years or more, maybe over 120 years or so. It went from um, knowledge of a guy who was called Iyas to this uh, mythical figure of Muhammad, obviously replaced down in the Hijaz, away from 
where it all happened. So that's really where we're coming from from the earlier video. Now, just a little bit about the term dashi, which is a term we find in the Islamic sources. Um, so the tayaye is what we call it in Syriac, and tay is what the, um, it's the, the Arabs refer to it. Um, but in China, it was called um, originally in the 7th century, uh, Dezik. That's how it was pronounced in the 7th century. But nowadays, it's pronounced Dashi. Um, and I will be using that term whenever I, I refer to the, the Chinese sources. Um, now, at the same time, in Tibet, they, they call them uh, Taishi, which is pretty much the same as, uh, as uh, Taishi. And uh, Tazik is what the Zok Turks refer to them. So the term changed over time, but we have records of the names in, in the records over a, a long period of time. So that's the same group, and um, our audience will be aware that to the west of China nowadays, you have a country called Tajikistan, right? Which actually is based on this same tribe. Yeah, Tajikistan. Um, what's interesting over? T- yeah, in Arabic is Tajikistan, which is kind of interesting, really. Um, uh, you know, so so here we go again that there is a possibility of an origin also that comes way north. Yeah, um, so uh, gradually over the centuries, the 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 notion of what was a, a tay changed. Originally, it was a very um, Arabic or Arabian thing, and gradually it became more and more Persian. So it wasn't it wasn't a strict tribe in the sense of ethnicity. I believe it it seems to be very um, fluid and flexible. So it might be that this. This association wasn't based just on ethnicity. It may have been based on religious beliefs as well. Um, So that's that. Um, There are two independent Chinese sources that confirm that the kingdom of Dashi, the Taiyai, was founded in the year 618 AD and not in 622. So the first one is a really early one, um, 651 in fact, July of 651, in the second year of the Yang Hui era, the Dashi dispatched its first envoy to the Tang court, which is in China. And this is recorded in two separate entries in Chinese records, which obviously further strengthens the case. One was in the old book of Tang, and the second uh, place was Seifu Yuan Gi. So that's really important. When the Taiyai say that their kingdom began in 618, which, as you'll see, this is, an ex- this is an excellent primary source of information that I believe we can trust to nail down the starting point of their kingdom. So there's a lot of conflicting sources and so on from, you know, from the Islamic tradition and so on, but this is a really strong source. It's coming from the Taiyai themselves, when they visit the Chinese and they're telling them when their kingdom started. And what's interesting is that the, um, there's a bit of a coincidence in that the, the Tang dynasty also started in the same year. So perhaps they had a bit to talk about there, that the fact that both the, of their kingdoms started in the same year. Now, so 
it says in in the Chinese source, it says in the second year of Yang uh, Hui era, 651 AD, the Dashi began to send envoys to pay tributes. The king's surname is Dashi, and his first name is Kanmi Muo Muo Ni, which I've made a note down below. I believe that is a reference to Amir al-Muminin. So that would be the Chinese rendering of that. So it's not really his first name. It's actually the the um, the commander of the faithful. Right. In, in, and, yeah. And so and when it says the king's surname, it's basically it's the I think you call it the patronymic, which is the, the name of the tribe. OK, so the invoice said it had been 34 years since the establishment of the kingdom, during which time the crown had been passed down to three kings. So that's an interesting detail. So by 651, we can say um, there had been four kings of this Taiyaye kingdom by 651. Yeah. So that's an, an, an additional detail that we can nail down. Absolutely. Give me one second here. Uh, I want to talk to the control room if they can show me the timer because uh, we're doing this as part of our podcast as well. Uh, let us reason. And uh, the other thing uh, that I would like to... Uh, the other thing that I would like to also uh, reference here to, uh, there is a comment that is being made by someone, um, I think H. Eder, keeps asking about Muatta uh, Malik. And uh, Malik is the founder, by the way, of the Maliki School of uh, Sharia. And in his mind, Muatta Malik basically considered to be one of the earliest collections of Hadith. And Malik, of course, is, was one of the uh, companions, or at least the, um, uh, the people who lived around the time of the Prophet. My response to this, uh, H. Adair, is show us one single manuscript that belongs to him that could be dated back to the 7th century. So it's no difference whatsoever. It's just another redaction that went all the way back to somebody that is claimed to be around the time of the prophet. So I don't see any issue here whatsoever. Uh, we have about seven minutes left for this podcast, brother. So uh, go ahead. Wherever we uh, uh, basically end, we'll pick it up from in the next uh, part. Okay. Right, so this is one source that, that clearly says from the Tayyai themselves that it all started in 618 and not in uh, 622. And the original text in Chinese for the 651 envoy is there. Okay, so for, for those who are Chinese, um, now the bit down below, it says in the second year of Yongwei, I think that's actually the same as what I've just read, so I won't, won't repeat myself. Now, the second piece of evidence is quite intriguing. It's it's from a, a letter from Samarkand in 719 to the Chinese, so to the Tang dynasty. So this is literally um, on the 100th centenary of the starting of the Taiyaye. Okay, so the ruler of the Kang, which is in Samarkand, Samarkand wrote to the Tang emperor and said it was the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Taiyai Kingdom. So you can see there, so we now have another source, which is like halfway between Iraq and China, right. saying exactly the same thing. So it was 618 so is, or 619, give or take. Yeah. So it's it's basically, essentially the same, we're talking in the same ballpark here, 100 years later. And obviously, there's no possibility of any kind of collusion going on. These are independent of each other. 
So uh, let me let me just ask this important question. The reason why we're focusing on 618, 619 has something to do with the hijra, correct? Yes. Yeah. So if if um if the Islamic tradition can't get such an important year correct, what else have they got wrong? It's like really crucial. You know, it it like things like when was Muhammad born? When did he, when did he die? When did the hijra actually happen? So if they've got that year wrong, first of all, why did they get it wrong? And why is, why is it wrong? Sorry, why is it wrong and what is the correct year? So it's actually really crucial because everything else hinges on that. That's like a foundation stone. And if you, like, for example, it's relevant when it comes to rock inscriptions. So, for example, if you find a rock inscription in the 7th century, which says in the year of the Arabs, and you assume that it, it's, it means from the year since 622, but it's actually 618 in, in reality, it means that your, your historical foundations are wrong. So it's really crucial. Um, so it has a, a very far-reaching impact in terms of understanding the, the sequence of events. So in this letter, he, he's, he let me just read it here. The letter was from the ruler of the Kang requesting military assistance from the Tang emperor, in the year 719, the letter says this year, 719, is the exact 100 years since the founding of Dashi. Therefore, we can include that the Taiyai, or Dashi, as it is called in Chinese, was founded in 618. So the way I would understand it is that, you know, if you if you count up from 618, it's, it's one year, um, say, would be 619 and two years. And if you were to work it up, that would bring you to 719, so 100 years later. That's right. Um, now, what's, what's interesting is, as an aside, is that you notice that he's seeking military assistance as the Taiyai are attacking his kingdom. So, you know, this is a kind of important detail. Um, why are the Taiyai going halfway to China to attack the people in Samarkand? You know, um, we often hear the story, oh, that um, Islam has never attacked people on the offensive. It's always been on the defensive. But here we see evidence that they actually went out of the way to attack a country that was thousands of miles away. And this was part of the, the methods used to expand the empire. Right. And uh, it's interesting. We get repeated requests in the sources for the Chinese to intervene and help them. And it's quite sad, really, in, so, in some respects, to see the, 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 the multiple requests for assistance and reports of the suffering of the people who are not in conflict with the Taiyai. It's simply that the Taiyai wants to take over as much land as possible and enslave the people. That's excellent. Uh, Mel, we have about two minutes to wrap up this uh, podcast. Uh, so in, in maybe 30 seconds, what should people expect in the second half? Uh, what are you going to cover? I suppose the, the, the big one is the Hadith tell us that in the time of Muhammad, Muhammad banned alcohol. And, and so in the second half, we're going to question that and actually um, give evidence that actually that's not correct. 
Very good. And we're going to talk about uh, later. We're going to revisit maybe the Persian Empire as well and the invasion, uh, you know, just to pick it up from here since you ended up with that. So thank you, brother. And thank you, everyone who is watching us right now uh, live. Um, we will be going to part two shortly here in about a minute uh, and a half from now. Uh, I will pause for just maybe uh, a minute or so in between. We, you're still going to see us live in studio. If you're listening to this on our podcast, Let Us Reason, that means it's next week when you get to listen to this second part of the podcast. However, if you have access to YouTube or access to our channel, Sira International on YouTube, or access to our Facebook page, alfadi.sira, you will be able to go and watch this immediately because it is streaming live right now on both the YouTube channel and Facebook. And I'll end up li- also sharing it later into my other Facebook pages and groups that I'm involved in. So many people will get to benefit from all of this. Mohammed Rashid, thank you so much for joining us. We welcome you, of course, and we hope that this show will be beneficial to you to help you examine Uh, the foundation of the faith that you're following, that I was following myself, and it crumbled, and I found Christ, and I pray that you will find Jesus as your Lord and Savior. For the rest of you, thank you so much for joining us here. This is Al-Fadi, and we're wrapping up our part one of the podcast, Let Us Reason. Until we meet again next time, have a blessed day. Sous-titrage